Don't you wish every time you appeared, music like that came? <laughs> Kids, I'm here. <laughs> All right, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. And thank you so much for being a part of this four-service weekend and our last service of the weekend. And you know what the Bible says? The last will be first. So there you are, the first people. And uh, here is my question as we start the morning. Have you ever seen someone, and if you really were to admit it, you'd say, I think it's probably, probably unlikely that we would be friends. You know, we have the tendency as humans to just stereotype people, put people in a box, and just have preconceived notions. And I've told you before about my style when I was ending high school, going into college. I was what you would classify as preppy, uh, or the polo shirt, braided belt, Every once in a while, would even pop the collar. Uh, you know, my hero was Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell, who was known as Preppy, right? That was his nickname. So, like, I personified Preppy. And um, we had this home gathering this week, and Joel Sanders, our youth pastor, got us started by saying, let's go around, say our name, and then what was the craziest style you ever rocked? And man, by the, by the time we were halfway around the room, we're in stitches, we're cracking up. But for me, the funniest part was actually hearing Joel and Kendall, our executive pastor, talk about their style because they talked about the style that they came to college in. And this is how I met them. So for Joel, our youth pastor, he had decided to grow out this long flowing blonde locks of hippie hair. And he, he tied a ribbon around his head. Right? He had found his dad's old, huge bell bottoms, and he was the one person in Central Texas that thought it was cool to go without shoes. And so he showed up on our campus like a, a 60s peace child. And what we'd find out later is that groups of people actually got together and would pray for him. They thought he was so lost. That is your youth pastor, ladies and gentlemen. And um, so then uh, Kendall, Kendall was a little different when he showed up. Uh, Kendall had dyed his hair jet black. And, I mean, and I'm talking so black that it would suck the light out of the room. And, and he was not his kind of golden bronze, Southern California, Kendall tan. He was pale white. He, uh, and he was into this European artist slash poet motif. And, and actually, so when I met him, and he lived very fittingly in the basement of the dorm, when I went down to the basement, I, I found a guy that was reading all these like philosophers like Nietzsche, very encouraging. Uh, and and his, his confession was that he was just coming out of a time where he was really questioning whether he was the reincarnation of Jim Morrison, the lead singers of The Doors. He got free. So, ladies and gentlemen, your executive pastor. All, all, that, all that to say is my first glimpse of these guys, I didn't uh, think that it was very likely that we would be closest of friends, but that is truly what we are. And what I find is that we're even more likely at times, unfortunately, to do that in our spiritual lives, that we look at someone and we say, I just don't think that this is the kind of person that's interested in God. You ever done that? In your school or your work, you're just like, that person, they wouldn't be interested. I don't think that's the kind of person that's going to be best friends with Jesus. I don't think that person is the kind of person that's going to be used by God. And that is what I love about this book, is this book is full of stories of unlikely people. 
And, and if we were all to be honest, wouldn't we all say that we were unlikely to be chosen to be friends of God, to be chosen to be used by him. And that's why we're doing this unlikely series because you can't put God in a box and you can't have a preconceived notion about the kind of people he's gonna be best friends with and the type of people he's gonna be used. And I hope this encourages you as we dive into it. We're going to look, last week we looked at Jacob the deceiver. This week we're gonna look at his son, Judah. And I'd call him Judah the immoral. Now let me just give a warning. I'm not seeing many kids in here, but if you have a child and you haven't uh, had a, a talk about uh, sexuality with them, I would probably encourage you to not have them in this service. This is a kind of very mature topic. We're very committed to talking through what's in the Bible, so this is a more mature topic. In fact, if your spouse is very immature, you might want to take them out right now. <laughs> Let's look at verse uh, 26 of chapter 37 of, uh, of Genesis right now. Chapter 37, um, Genesis 26. Now, this is where we start the life of Judah. Really, Judah, the character of Judah, the study of his life is in the bigger narrative of the life of Joseph. I think you'd all be very familiar with Joseph. He's the one who had the multicolor coat that his father gave him. He was the favorite of his father. His brothers get jealous right? You remember they sell him into slavery in Egypt. Then he has these dreams in prison and the Pharaoh pulls him out and he ends up kind of ruling the country of Egypt. Just amazing story. Well, I never liked that in the middle of his life, you get this chapter, which is really what we're going to study. It's kind of a disgusting chapter and it's all about Judah. And it's about this woman named Tamar. But let me just, before we do that, let me give you some background. The first time we see Judah in Genesis 37, it says, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? So you're going, oh, wait, Judah's a good guy. He don't want to kill his brother. Watch what he suggests next. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. Judah is a trafficker of humans. This is awful. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Imagine your oldest child deciding to traffic one of your younger childs. This is the kind of person we're dealing with. This is a bad dude. And then what happens next? Do you remember? They sell Joseph to the Midianites and they just come up with this, this lie, this deceitful plan. They take his coat, they rip it up, they dip it in blood, they bring it to the, to the father and say, Dad, look, Joseph was killed by beasts, and here's his bloody jacket. And the father, Jacob, just weeps and breaks down. This is who Judah is, okay? So this is where we find ourselves in chapter one, uh, 38, verse 1. At that time, Judah left his brothers went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. So Judah's now running. He's running from his past. And what I find in a large city like San Diego, there's a lot of people that are running from something. They're trying to get away from something. And the problem is oftentimes when we're running, instead of facing our problems head on and letting God help us in them, we make bad decisions. And that's what we're going to see next is it says there Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her. What's the mistake here? Judah comes from the people of God. Instead of marrying a believer in Jehovah, Yahweh, he marries a pagan woman. So now he's broken another law of God, which says do not be unequally yoked. 
It's just going to get worse. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son whose name was Er. She conceived and again gave birth to a son named Onan. She gave birth to still another son named Shelah. It was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. So make note, three sons are born to this Canaanite woman and Judah. Now watch this tragic story unfold. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Now, really and truly, I'm going to talk both about Judah and Tamar. I would call them Judah and Tamar the immoral. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Ooh, hello. Now, what we know from reading the book of Genesis already is God is exceedingly gracious. He's slow to anger, rich in love. So what we have to surmise from this text is that Ur was a bad dude. He was so bad that the Lord actually had to put him to death. So imagine Tamar, imagine the pain, women, of finding out, man, I've got a wicked husband. I thought this guy was good. He's wicked. And then imagine the pain when he gets killed. And you're thinking, wow, I'm a widow. This is not what I was expecting in my life. You know, I find a lot of times our life circumstances deal us a hand that we never expected. And we're living in devastation. That's what was happening with Tamar. But watch what continues to happen. Then Judah, the father-in-law, says to Onan, the second son, sleep with your brother's wife, who's Tamar, and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. So he's now saying, he, he should have told Onan, now marry your brother's wife, right? But instead he just says, hey, just go sleep with her. It says, but Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, dot, 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 you can read it for yourself. I've just omitted it for decency's sake, but it's in the Bible. And let me just make a note. The Bible deals with some graphic things, right? The Bible gets real. We talk, we say, get rock, get real, give it away. The Bible deals with some very real issues. And, and, and that's one of the reasons we can know that the Bible is true. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just... It's not just a nice bedtime story, right? If it was that, if it was just a feel good, just a something to, to make us feel a little better about life, then it wouldn't have these kind of horrible sins of people in it. But the Bible talks about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's one of the ways we can know the Bible is true, right? Because it deals with the realities that you're seeing on the news every day. And it goes on to say what he did was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord puts him to death also. I mean, can you imagine the trauma that Tamar, the woman's going through? Her husband's died, then she's been sexually misused. And then it says, Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son, Shelah, grows up. For he thought he might die too, just like his brother. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went to Timnah, to the men who were shearing his sheep. And his friend Hira, the Adamalite, went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear a sheep. She took off her widow's clothes, so she would have been wearing all black in mourning. She takes off her widow's clothes and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. She dresses up like a prostitute at that time would have clothed themselves. 
and then sat down at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. This woman has experienced all kinds of pain. She's been dragged along now by her father-in-law. She's seen husband die. She's been misused sexually. And can I just tell you, that the reality is that so many women and women in this church are living in pain. We found when we started and planted All People's Church right here in the middle of San Diego, we estimated that 80% of our women had been sexually misused or abused. And can I just tell you that this book speaks to people in that kind of pain. And God provides hope. There's always hope in Jesus. There's always a way out in Jesus, and there's always a new and bright future in Jesus. Now, I wish I could say Tamar suffered in a beautiful, gracious way, but that's just not the case. She actually, because of her pain, I believe, enacts a very immoral and and very sinful action plan. So watch what happens. When Judah, father-in-law, Judah sees her. He thought she was a prostitute. Why? Because she's dressed herself up like a prostitute. For she had covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law. He went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. And what shall you give me to sleep with you? She asked. I will send you a young goat from my flock. He said, will you give me something else as a pledge until you send it? She asked. He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal and your cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her and she became pregnant by him. And all God's people said, what the heck? You're like, thank you, Pastor Robert. I came to church looking for an encouraging word. Thank you for choosing this Bible text to brighten my Sunday. I just want to tell you, this is a story that has a treasure of God's love and grace in. So just stay with me for a few moments. It says this, about three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she's now pregnant. So how do you think Judah's going to respond? Judah, the guy who'd just been in prostitution. Judah, the guy who'd just gone and done this deed. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. What a jerk. What a hypocrite. You're thinking, right? Oh, Judah, what a great biblical name. Now, if your name's Judah in here, your story gets a lot better. This is not a good dude, right? Have you ever noticed we are really quick to want grace when we're in sin? But then when someone else is in sin, we're like, that dog, right? How dare them do that? That's exactly what he's doing right here. So watch what happens next. As she was being brought out, I can just see the men bringing her out. She was caught in prostitution. They're bringing her out. It says she sent a message to her father-in-law, to Judah. I am pregnant by the man who owns these. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Boom. The original mic drop. (laughs) Right, the cord seal and staff drop. Question six. Question six. That is the question that the missions leaders 
of the largest missions organization in the world found was tripping people up. You see, they had gotten really concerned because all these young people were saying that they felt called by God to take the gospel to the unreached nations of the world. They were responding in their churches. They were saying, we want to go and serve in the unreached to proclaim Jesus but then they weren't getting to the mission field. And so the missiologists and the missions leaders and the denominational leaders said, what is going on? Why are all these people saying they want to do things, but no one's getting there? And so they started studying and they started trying to uncover. And then they realized as they talked to more and more people that on the application to serve Jesus as a missionary in the nations of the world, question six says, do you struggle with pornography? And no one could say they didn't. And so young man after young man was getting to that and giving up. And then so much so that they started telling their friends, hey, on the application is question six. And so young men even stopped applying to be missionaries, even though God had called them all because of question number six. So we're having this conversation, this past weekend. I'm with uh, Glenn and Kathleen Galloway. Glenn's the guy who's playing this bass, the world's happiest bassist, by the way. And uh, Glenn leads our uh, love after marriage ministry. It's called LAM. And this ministry is all about helping people have better marriages and go deep in marriage and, and, and have new tools for connecting. But he also has uh, a couple of wonderful children that have been in our youth group. And so he's always connecting with younger people. And he said, I think the enemy knows that this young generation has the most powerful call of any generation so far. And that is why he has enacted a full-scale assault against them because no generation has had and been exposed to more sexual immorality and more sexually explicit material than them because it's not just seeing it every once in a while on TV or having it in a magazine cover on Iraq. No, it's like coming at them. It's on their devices. Like it's available to them every moment. I don't know about you. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I was on a Bible website this week studying commentaries and a, uh, an image that was not appropriate popped up from a website about the Bible. And I had to click it, and I had to yell at Steph to come in, and I had to call uh, one of our web guys and said, guys, this is crazy. Can I just tell you that the enemy is doing a full-on assault against this generation to destroy us? But God has a different plan. God has a different plan, and we do not have to be victims in this. Here's the pivot point of the whole story. Exodus 38, verse 25 and 26. Let's look at this. Judah recognized them. What did he recognize? The staff, the seal, and said, she is more righteous than I. How do you get free from sexual sin? How do you come out of that lifestyle? It starts with a confession. Judah sees. He goes, oh, man. Wow, that is me. I'm the one who just did it. And he says, she's more righteous than I. Let me just ask you, have you confessed your sins? 
If you can't talk about it, it owns you. But the Bible says this, confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. I meet so many people and the whole reason they are stuck in addiction and bondage is because they've never confessed it. But when you confess it, you agree with God and let his power come in to fill you and he brings a light in the darkness. And what happens when you walk into a dark room and you flip on the light, all the insects just scram. You want freedom in your life, turn on the light. The Bible says this, humble yourself under the mighty right hand of God and he will lift you up. It's humbling to confess our sins, but I wanna tell you, when we do it, it's the first step for the grace of God to come rushing in. We start with a confession. Is there anything in your life that you haven't confessed? I wanna challenge you. The way to get free is bring it to the light. I can guarantee you, we've heard it before. You won't shock us. Confess your sins, but watch the next part. It's a confession and it's a decision. He makes a decision to change. How do I know that? It says this, and he did not sleep with her again. Here's the problem. So many of us feel like I've messed up so much. Why even stop? Like I'm just doomed to be in this kind of sin the rest of my life. So I'm just going to keep living because that's who I am. I'm a sinner. I'm a mess up. I'm sexually immoral. So I'm just going to keep going. But I love that Judah didn't do that. He confessed it and then he made a decision. I'm changing. And it says he did not sleep with her again. Let me just tell you, some people think this. The enemy tricks us by making us think, I can't be free. My my sin is too great. My cravings are too strong. I just can't say no to sin. And I would say to you how prideful that you think that your cravings are more powerful than the God that raised Jesus from the dead. You think your little sin, your little weakness is more powerful than the God of the universe? Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 6, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Can I just start by saying this? Because I'm, I'm in this sermon talking about the grace of God, but if you're thinking that I'm making light of sexual immorality, I'm not at all. Because actually, in this generation, we're finding that people live with their boyfriend and girlfriend. They, they hook up with people, and it, these are Christians are doing it as much as the people of the world. Can I just tell you that sin... In the Bible, that's sin. And then it goes on to say this, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you if you gave your life to Jesus? He can give you power over any sin. I'm a living testimony of that. I was trapped. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I felt like a slave as a young man. But I confessed it. And I said, Jesus set me free. And I can tell you for years I've walked in freedom by God's grace. And I know hundreds of people that are walking in freedom today. Do you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? That's why I put on that sumo suit to say you're in Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. Let me just tell you, how do you get free from sin? It's not by going, that's sin. I don't want to touch that sin. I hate sin. But you're just looking at the sin. Right? Have you ever, have you ever noticed you're teaching a kid to ride a bike and you're like, hey, Johnny, just don't hit the tree. 
right? And then what does Johnny do? He's like, I don't want to hit the tree. I don't want to hit the tree. And so he's, and so he's just staring at the tree. I don't want to look at the tree because he's staring at the tree. His focus is the tree. And then what does he do? He runs right into the tree. No, that, that, that's not how we get free from sin. You know how you get free from sin is being united with Christ. You get filled up with Christ. You be in Christ. You be in love with Christ. You be overflowing with Christ. And you won't be drawn to the sinful cravings of your flesh. Because why do we have sinful cravings of our flesh? It's because we're not being completely filled with Jesus. The key to freedom is run after Jesus with all your heart. That's the key to freedom. Goes on to say this. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Oh, I'm sorry. Flee, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, let me just address something that you've probably heard Christians say that is not true. They say, well, there's not different types of sin. Like sin is sin, right? Like what one sin is not worse than the other. Have you heard that before? That's not in the Bible. What the Bible says is that sexual sin is actually different because it's a sin against the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're actually taking the Holy Spirit and bringing him into fornication. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I just want to tell you, men and women, that you can be free. That's why we have our, our, our Freedom Day. Come to Freedom Day. Like, when I was struggling, I needed tools to get free. November 10th, we have our Freedom Day on a Saturday. We've had hundreds of people go through it, and we walk through the pain of our past. We walk through forgiveness. We walk through our volitional sins. And do you know what? People are getting free. There's a lie in the body of Christ that my sins I'll deal with my whole life. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but I am saying that you don't have to live in bondage. So jump in with us. Jump into a life group. Walk with a community of people that are pursuing God. Find an accountability partner. I, I started talking with guys and saying, hey, these are my struggles. First of all, I was confessing, so that was bringing the grace of God. Secondly, they were praying for me, which brings the power of God. And thirdly, they would ask me questions, which brought the fear of God. You add all those things together, and that's a cocktail of freedom. <laughs> then what I did is I started washing my mind with the word. We need a brainwashing. How many of you know you need to be brainwashed? Because, because the world has been trashing out our minds. And when you feel like your mind can't get free, just start washing it with the word of God. Ephesians 5 said he washes us with the word. If you're dealing with stuff in your brain, I just, man, as a young man, I felt like I can't control my thoughts. Like they're just bombarding me. But the more and more I read the word of God, the more and more I memorized the word of God, the more my mind got free. Now, here's what I love about the story is that Judah actually gets confronted. He gets confronted. Someone says like, hey, is this you? Can I just tell you in a healthy family, one family member will confront another when they're destroying themselves. In a healthy family, people actually confront us when we're destroying our lives or destroying other people because that's love. Right? There was an ad when I was a kid that said this, friends don't let friends drink and drive. Anybody remember that ad? Yeah, some of you remember that. Why? Why do you not let your friend drink and drive? Why are you trying to end their fun? 
It's because we know when people are drunk and driving, they often kill themselves and kill other people. And so a true friend would confront someone and stop them. Now, let me just say this. Sometimes when people drink and drive, they hurt other people. But every time you jump into sexual immorality, you hurt yourself and other people. It's a sin against God. It's a sin against yourself. It's a sin against other people. And so we confront people. I'm so glad that someone confronted me at the end of my high school days and called me out on the way I was living. Now, I know when I say that, and I'm encouraging us to be a church that actually lovingly confronts people, that some people are like, I don't want to be in this church. I don't want someone to point me out because you're afraid that all of a sudden I'm giving you license to be like the all people sheriff that starts walking around going, you sinner, right? And we also think, well, that's what Christians like to do. They just like to point people out in their sins so they can feel all self-righteous. No, let me just tell you, if you're doing that to make yourself feel better about yourself, that's sick, right? That's judgmental. And the Bible says, judge not or you'll be judged. Let me tell you when to confront people when your heart's broken for them. If it's out of anger, right? If it's out of holier than thou, don't even bring it up. But when you're actually feeling pain in your heart because you're seeing the way your friend is hurting themselves or other people, when you can actually cry over their sin, that's the time to go and speak to them. And how do you do it? You don't walk up and go, you dirty dog. No, how, how do you bring it up? Hey, I want to challenge you on something because I love you. I want to challenge you on something because I, I actually believe God has a great plan for your life, and I want to see you walk in it. And I care deeply about you, and I think this behavior is hurting you and hurting others, and I think so much more God has in store for you. I'm so thankful that someone did that for me because I got free. Now watch this. What we know is what's done is done. And Tamar actually is pregnant from her father-in-law. Like, whoa. And so here's what it says about one of the two children in her womb. It says, and about one of the sons, she said, but when he drew back his hand, his brother came out, meaning he came out of the womb. And she said, so this is how you've broken out. And he was named Perez. Now you might say, well, Robert, why does that matter? Because we're going to move for a moment to the New Testament. And I want to show you something. You know, we, we get to the New Testament and some of us, let's just be honest, we kind of struggle to read the whole Old Testament. And there were all these stories and all these laws. And you were like bogged down in Leviticus. And you're like, finally, the New Testament, Jesus, right? And then you open the book of Matthew and it's a genealogy. And you're like, Lord, why? You know, you finally got your unbelieving friend to read the Gospels, and they started, and they were like, uh, Jeannie, I'm in Ancestry.com. Like, <laughs> but in this genealogy is this diamond of grace. There's this jewel of God's goodness. Listen to how Matthew 1 starts. This is the genealogy of Jesus. That means this is the family line of Jesus, the Messiah, which means the Savior of the world, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Remember Jacob last week? The deceiver. Wait a second. You have a deceiver in your family line, Jesus. 
Jacob, the father of Judah, whoa, Judah, sexually immoral, liar, selfish, hypocrite, in Jesus' line, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Can I just tell you, God could have chosen any family to bring the Messiah, his son, into the world. And who does he choose? A sexually immoral man named Judah. A woman who was abused and misused and then prostituted herself named Tamar. And he makes sure it's written down. And then I'd be remiss to not mention Perez because I think Perez is how many people in our congregation feel where they look around and they go, I don't come from one of these good families that mom and dad are together and they raise the kids having devotional around the table. Like, no, things are not good for me. I don't even have two parents. I might not even know who my dad was. I was born out of wedlock. Maybe I was born out of rape or incest. Like, I feel like I was black marked from the beginning. Like, the starting line's here and I'm way back here. And so I just, my whole life was messed up from the beginning. And I say, then you're right in line with the kind of person that Jesus is in his great, 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 great grandfather. Like that's the kind of person that God chose to be in the line of Jesus. God loves to choose the unlikely. He chose a sexually immoral man. I mean, that guy could have said, I'm messed up forever because of what I've done. He chose a woman who had been misused, abused, and then prostituted herself. She could have said, there's no way that I could be in God's kingdom. And he chose Perez, who's like, man, my life started in the most dysfunctional, black mark, embarrassing way ever. And God says, no, I choose this family with prostitution and incest and lies and deceit to bring forth my son because I am a God of grace. Because I am a God of forgiveness. Because I am a God whose mercies are new every morning. So here's the great news. Your sexual immorality does not disqualify you. Your past mistakes does not keep you from being a friend of Jesus. And your former dysfunction does not keep you from having the opportunity to be used by him in a marvelous way. But church, let me just go one step further because we're called to be a church who loves the unlikely, who believes in the unlikely, who forgives the unlikely and then calls them up because when people are given that kind of grace in their relationships, they can be transformed. So let's finish the story by looking at Genesis 44, the end of Judah's life. It's found once again in that narrative about Joseph. Joseph, by now, he's out of prison. Remember, he's risen into leadership in Egypt. And his brothers, there's a famine in their land. So their father says, go to Egypt because they have a really wise leader. And it's actually Joseph, but they have no idea. Yeah, they have a really wise leader who stored up all this food. So go get food from him. And so they go up and they see this powerful man. He's the second most powerful man in the world next to Pharaoh. They have no idea who it is. All the while it's Joseph. They don't know who he is because Joseph talks like an Egyptian now. He, he eats like an Egyptian. His style is like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. 
couldn't resist that one. And they come to him, and, and, and Joseph recognizes them. And so he, he kind of plays this trick on them. And he says, hey, I want to keep your youngest brother with me. If you want this food, I'll, I'll give it to you. If you let your youngest brother stay here. And watch what Judah, this bad dude in the past, this one that sold his brother, watch what Judah does. It says, then Judah went up to him. Judah's not the oldest. Like, it wasn't his, his right to speak. But it says, then Judah went up to him. He's going up to the most powerful man who could say, off with your head in a moment. He goes, Judah went up to him and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you're equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked the servants, do you have a father or brother? And we answered, we have an aged father. And there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead. And he's the only one of his mother's son left. And his father loves him. Are you seeing that? Like Judah now is willing to go and risk his life. And Judah is now confessing, hey, his younger brother is dead. Like Judah is changing. Watch this. Judah continues. So now, if the boy's not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of your father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Guys, Judah, who was selfish, who didn't care, he had sold his brother into slavery and lied about it. Now he's like, I can't do that to my dad. This guy who was so selfish, now he is carrying the pain of someone else. He actually loves now. He actually wants to spare someone from sorrow and pain. Do you see this change going on in Judah? But watch this last line, the ultimate example of complete transformation in his life. It says, now then, this is Judah speaking, verse 33. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers, Judah. The selfish man, the sexually immoral, the one that trafficked his brother, sold him into slavery, is now saying this, take me instead. I sign up to be a slave for the rest of my life so that someone else doesn't have to suffer. Do you see the transformation of this man? He was given grace, and now he's offering his life for someone else. Church, when we become a people that extend grace to the unlikely, those people will go on to transform the world around them. Don't say you can't change. God is in the business and has a history book full of wicked people, of immoral people, of broken people, of sinful people that have been transformed by his grace. Let's stand up. Would you close your eyes with me? This is the most important part of the whole morning. Because this story is true. Please close your eyes. This story is true. I want to ask you a question. Have you received the grace of God?
There's some people in this room that if you were to be honest, you'd say, I actually feel like I can't be that close to God because of the sins of my past, especially the sexual sins of my past. Things that have been done to you, things that you've done, things that you've never told anyone about. You feel like you can't grow close to God or you feel like you could never be used. I'm gonna ask everyone to keep their eyes closed, but I want you to do something. I want you to humble yourself right now before the Lord. Just as I've done in the other services, if that's you, I want to pray for you. But first, it takes you acknowledging that. All over this room, if you say, you know what, that's me. I'm like a Judah. I'm like a Tamar. I'm like a Perez. Just raise your hand and keep it up. Don't want to look around, though. Thank you so much for being so bold. If that's you, you know it's you. Just be bold. Raise your hand. Because you struggle with shame. You struggle with condemnation. Just boldly raise your hand. We do these things because we're humbling ourselves before the mighty right hand of God so his grace can come. Just keep your hand up. There's some more people. No one's looking around. This is just before you and God. But if that's you, I just want to encourage you. This moment is your moment. This is your moment to receive the grace of God. Because I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray. Now put your other hand on your heart. Father, I pray right now that you would pour your healing balm on my brothers and my sisters' hearts. Your word says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set them free from the law of sin and death. So, Lord, you're washing them clean right now. You're washing them clean. And I just want to tell you the truth of God, that God doesn't see you by your sins. He sees you by the blood of Jesus washing over you. You can be washed. You can be clean. You can be a close friend of Jesus. You can put your hands down. Keep your eyes closed, please. Some of you might say, you know what? I don't know if I'm forgiven. I've made so many mistakes or I come from such a bad past. I don't know that I'm right with God. If you need to get right with God, if you need to ask Jesus to come into your life as your Lord and Savior, if you want to know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you know that you go to heaven when you die. If you need to pray that today, it's not about you being good. It's about receiving his gift of salvation. I want you to just pray this right after me. You can say these words right after me. That's your heart, your desire to say, Jesus, repeat this right after me. I need you. Come into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. turn from them today. Thank you for rising from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Save me, Jesus. I'll follow you forever. All over this room, you that are praying that, I want every eye closed, but if you're praying that prayer right now, just wave at me because I'm going to pray over you. Just all over this room, wave to me. Thank you so much. Who else? Just wave at me. Let me see you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. I see you back there. Anyone else? Just thank you and thank you back there. Anyone else? If I haven't called you out, just, just wave at me. Thank you. I see you too. Thank you. I see you too. Father, we thank you now for all these ones that are saying, I'm praying and giving my life to Jesus. I'm making him my Lord and Savior. We celebrate that today they're being saved. Today they're being washed clean. Today, they are being made new. This is their spiritual birthday. Can I just have the prayer team quickly come forward?